Well, good morning, LifePoint. Come on back. Find your seat today. So glad to have you here to worship the Lord with us. Again, if you are visiting with us for the very first time, uh, whether you're here in person or watching online, we would love to connect with you. We have a gift for you. Uh, those of you even who are online, we would uh, love to send that gift to you in the mail. Just uh, text the word WELCOME to 406-219-0314. Leave your name and address, and we'll make sure you have that uh, sent to you. If you're here in person, we have that gift for you on your way out this morning as well. But we're just so grateful that uh, you're here with us today. Uh, how many of you have heard the phrase, if only I knew then what I know now? Go ahead and raise your hand, right? Most of us have heard that phrase before. Raise your hand if you have said that phrase before a time or two. Like the kids in the room are like, oh man, totally, right? I can relate to that, right? Absolutely. Well, uh, a lot of us can relate to that, especially if you're older. Uh, if you've lived life a little bit, uh, you hopefully get a little wiser, right? Uh, and as you go through life, you tend to look back on life and, and you say that phrase. Like, if, if I only knew uh, then what I know now, uh, we would say this, I would live differently, right? Uh, most of us, uh, as you get a little older, you get wiser and you, 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 you learn things and you look back on life and you think, man, uh, how many moments and times in life do I just wish that uh, I had that no the knowledge that I have now, uh, the knowledge I would have uh, now, I would have actually then as well, because we would live differently, right? We would say, man, I would have made uh, different choices if I had that understanding, uh, if I had that perspective. And that's just kind of a common human trait, right? Like, there's not a single person in this room this morning that doesn't have some sort of regret, right? We, we've all made bad decisions. We've all done things at times that we were like, man, that was not the brightest thing in the world. I, I wish that I could go back and change it had I had, you know, the knowledge that I have now. And I think it's just like a very common thing for all of us to kind of relate to. But as we talk about heaven, uh, we're continuing our, our sermon series on heaven. If you're new to LifePoint today, talking about all the ideas that heaven uh, is and, and what we're going to be doing there and that sort of thing. But as you think about heaven, I, I think that same principle applies uh, to what we're talking about today as well. Uh, if we only knew uh, uh, then what we know now, if we only knew really what awaits us, if we really pondered the reality of heaven, the, the wonders of heaven, if we really uh, sought to understand what heaven is really like, I think it would change the way we live. And, and that, that's not just like preacher sentiment kind of thing. I really believe today that heaven can change your life. Uh, I believe this morning that if you and I, as Christians, knowing if you are, you're a child of God, you're going to heaven, I, I believe that if you really begin to ponder, consider the wonders of heaven, I think it'll change your life. I truly do. I think it'll change your perspective on everything that you focus in on life. If we really knew, really understood, really pondered the wonders of heaven, I think we would live differently in so many different ways. And so that's really my hope for you and I. Uh, as we open again this topic of heaven, uh, and, and we consider what does Scripture teach us? What does Scripture have for us uh, to understand and to know about heaven? My hope for you, Christian, is that you would walk away from here with a renewed perspective, that you would walk away from here with a renewed hope and understanding of what is actually awaiting you and I, that the more you know today about heaven, the greater the impact 
it'll have on your life tomorrow. I believe that can really, really happen. But here's what we're gonna focus in on this morning is one main thought, one main idea, and that is simply this, is that we need to elevate our view of heaven. Would you agree with that statement this morning? Raise your hand, nod your head, give me something so I know you're listening. We need to elevate our view, our understanding of heaven. We need to kind of raise our gaze, so to speak, of what heaven is, what it is like, so that as we walk through this life, we can know and understand that no matter what we face in this world, the chaos, uh, the, the, the destruction that's in our world, man, all the junk and all the garbage that's going on, uh, we understand that there's a future hope. And so we need to increase our understanding today. Uh, we need to increase our knowledge. We need to pursue to know more about heaven. Here's why. Here's why this is so important. Uh, we, you see, you can go through life like so many people do, and e- e- even Christians go through life, if you go through life with a shallow view of heaven, and let me just say this morning, a lot of Christians today in our world go through life with a very shallow perspective of what heaven is like, a very shallow perspective of what eternity is like, meaning you never seek to really know it. Like we just kind of go through life and we do church and we do Christian things, but we never really seek to dig into the depths of what heaven is like. If we we don't do that, and you have a shallow view, I want you to know this morning, you're also going to have a shallow view of God. Uh, You're also going to have a very shallow view of Christianity, of church, uh, of your involvement in service within the body of Christ. If you have a shallow view of heaven, you're going to handle life's challenges and disappointments here on this earth poorly. You're going to have less hope and more fear. You're going to trust God less, and consequently, you're going to have less of an impact for Christ and on God's kingdom. You're going to have less of an impact in the lives of other people. And so I would propose to you this morning, we need to elevate our view of heaven because it impacts all of these things that I stated this morning. We need to elevate our view of heaven and fix our gaze upon what is awaiting us. We need to seek the heavenly. Seek the heavenly. I'm going to reference a book that I mentioned earlier uh, to many of you, and it's uh, this book right here called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I uh, encourage you to, man, go out, find it, and, uh, and make this uh, part of your library. But I'm going to reference a lot of the uh, things that Randy Alcorn has to say in his book. But he, he did say this, and this quote will be up on the screen for you to see as well. But he said, if we're Christians, we get two opportunities to live on the earth. And that's a fantastic reality, right? Right now, And then one day, if you're a believer, you get to live on the new earth that that God is actually going to create. He says that the first one is but a dot. It begins and it ends. It's very brief. The second, he said, uh, opportunity will be a line extending forever. We all live in the dot, but if we're smart, we'll be living for the line. And that's so true, isn't it? Uh, That we would actually live our days as a Christian for more for the line than we do the dot, because the more that you live for the line, the eternity, knowing what is ahead of us, the more of the impact it will have upon the dot, right? Upon our relationships and the things that we uh, face day in and day out. And so my hope is that you're feeling that challenge throughout this. Uh, my hope is that that, that is uh, being sparked, that, that, that hope and that understanding that you're being inspired to really seek the heavenly in the things that are awaiting us. I hope 
that it's sparking your imagination today. Well, today uh, is kind of a continuation of where we left off last Sunday, and it's a little bit different uh, than what we normally do because we're answering questions from the audience about heaven your questions about heaven. And that's what I'm going to do today. We're just going to kind of continue on some of the questions that you have posed uh, to me, and I'm going to do my best to answer them from Scripture. Uh, But if you do have questions as we go through this, again, let me remind you, write them down, come and share them with me, or email them to me, john, J-O-N, at lifepointmt.org. And I would be happy to address them in some way, shape, or form as we uh, go through this. But we're going to go through some questions today, and I, I am uh, just want to say again that I'm just so excited about these, these questions and answering these and talking about heaven. It's been a joy for me. I don't know if it's been a joy for you, um, but I really, really have enjoyed uh, digging into what awaits us. But he, here's the first question that we're uh, going to answer this morning, uh, and that is this, is will there be animals in heaven? Uh, will our pets be in heaven, right? Uh, and before you dismiss that question as unimportant, even though, Pastor, really, we're going to start with this question, right? Before you dismiss this question as being unimportant or even being childish, I want to remind us all of something really, really important, and that is this the animals were created by God. Let's not forget who created the animal kingdom. Let's not forget who created these uh, wonderful creatures. They are his creation. And let me remind you, they represent in some way the glory of God, right? Uh, As you look at the animal kingdom, I mean, let's be honest, there's actually uh, animals and creatures we haven't even discovered yet at the, the bottoms of the sea. I mean, there's just this array of glorious, glorious animals Uh, And they all kind of represent and symbolize God's creative glory in some way, some shape, or form. Uh, but, But remember this as well. God has mandated humanity to care for and steward the animal kingdom. Uh, God has given us this mandate to steward uh, his creation. Don't ever diminish that reality. Animals, uh, of course, played a major role in God's creation uh, at the very beginning, and they will play a major role in the future as well. And so let me just share with you some thoughts about that this morning, starting all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and these scriptures will be on the screen for you to follow along with us as well this morning. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21, we read of God's creation, right? God is creating all of these wonderful things. And it says in verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And notice this phrase, in God saw that it was good, right? When God creates, God creates good things, right? But notice verse number 22, because it's kind of interesting. And it says, in God Bless them, saying, being, being, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. I want you to notice a very interesting phrase, and that is this, God blessed them. Who did God bless? Say it out loud if you know it. The animals, right? Isn't that interesting that God would not only create something that's good and wonderful and, and represents his glory and his magnificence, but uh, he also blessed them. If you read on to the rest of the chapter, you find that God created uh, the rest of the land creatures and God creates man and he saw that it was good and he also blessed man, Adam and Eve. 
God bless the animals and God blesses humanity. And so there's something important for us to remember here, and that is, is that God cares about what he's created, right? God cares about what he has created. And that may seem simple to you this morning, but it's something we may uh, forget, uh, but we shouldn't. If God cares, so should we, right? If God cares about his creation, so should we. And so I want you to know that that desire, especially our kids, right, they have this desire within us to be like reunited with our pets and to, to be with them in heaven. That, that, that's a very human response that I think God wired within us because God cares. He put that same care within us. But will they be in heaven, right? We need to answer that question this morning. Will they be in heaven? Will animals be in heaven? Will our pets be in heaven? I'll do my best to answer that question, but we're going to start in Revelation 21. We've spent some time here throughout this series, and we're going to come back here often, uh, because it, it says in Revelation 21.1 that, that God creates a new heaven and a new earth, right? We understand there's this reality that God is going to recreate uh, the earth again, and we're actually going to live on this new earth, and it's going to be fantastic and amazing and very familiar in many, many different ways. But if you notice in verse number five, uh, it says this, and he who was seated on the throne, this is John, he is the, the apostle, he's getting this vision, and, and God is literally showing him all of these things that are to come to pass. And, and he says, and he who was seated on the throne, he sees the throne of God, said this, God himself, behold, I am making all things new. You ought to underline that phrase or memorize. It's not a hard verse to memorize, but, but we ought to consider this. God is saying, I, at some point, I am going to make all things new. And then he said this also, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Mark it down, what I say is true and is going to happen. But I want to remind you of something significant. Because whenever you read scripture, you're looking for the character of God. Who is God? What is he like? And we find something very, very interesting about the character of God. And that is this, that God is a maker, right? God is a maker. He is a creator. Uh, he will always be a creator. I am making all things new. Now, are we supposed to take this literally or figuratively? A lot of people approach end times, they approach the book of Revelation and just say, oh, it's just all kind of figurative speech and figurative language. Well, we at LifePoint, we take a very literal uh, interpretation of Scripture. Uh, and so this isn't intended to be taken figuratively. Um, God is literally saying, I'm going to make things new again. I'm going to make a new earth. I'm going to make a new heaven. We talked about the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, the capital city of God coming down to this new earth uh, where we're going to dwell with him. Uh, but he says, I'm going to create all things new. What does all things include? What do you think? <laughs> all things, right? Not hard, right? If God says, I'm going to make all things new, that includes all things. And that includes what? Animals, right? That would have to include animals. God's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, and on that new earth will be new animals. Now, here's where it gets a little unclear for us. And it gets a little difficult, I'll be honest, to kind of define some of these things uh, because we don't really know, will those animals be completely new creations or will they be animals that God restores from the old earth uh, and, and brings into the new earth. And, and if I could just answer that question with this, I don't know, right? I'm not really sure, and I don't think we can 
honestly know, but we do know a few things. And so let's talk about what we do know. We do know this, that animals do not possess a soul like man does, right? Uh, Animals do not possess a soul like humanity possesses a soul, Uh, nor do they bear the image of God, right? Nowhere do we find in the book of Genesis when God created uh, man, and he says, and they're made in my likeness. The animals were not made uh, in the likeness of God, nor, consider this, do they require salvation, because they don't have a sin nature. And so they are uniquely different. But I want you to know this morning, that does not mean that we should assume that God cannot or will not restore our former pets. Let's be honest. God is sovereign. God is creative. God is loving. God can do whatever he wants, right? And so he certainly can recreate the animal kingdom that once dwelled on the earth and bring those same animals back into heaven. It's God's prerogative, but I don't know whether he's going to do that or not. But what I want to do is I want to show you some interesting passages about animals in heaven. Like, can we expect there to be animals in heaven? I'm going to show you several passages. We're going to be kind of all over the place this morning. So kind of hold on to your seat and, uh, and follow along with me this morning. Revelation chapter 8, we're going to start here. Again, when you, when you come to Revelation, you got to understand God is revealing things to John who is to write these things down for you so that you can understand these things. The book of Revelation is not meant for you to, uh, to not understand what's going to happen in the future. God wants to show you. God wants you and I to see the wonders and glories of heaven and what awaits us. And so John is seeing all this stuff, and he's writing it down for our benefit. And so we look at verse 13, and he says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets uh, that the three angels are about to blow. We're not going to talk a ton of context here. Uh, This is tribulation. Uh, And these are uh, the the times when God is pouring out his wrath upon those that dwell upon the earth. Not the church, uh, not, uh, not Christians, but those that oppose God. But did you catch what John said? So you think a lot of times we read things, we just kind of glaze over it. There was an eagle flying overhead, crying out with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Anybody ever hear an eagle speak to them before? If you have, I know a good counselor, and I can totally recommend uh, him to you. Um, but we don't, we don't hear animals talk, do we? Uh, we don't hear animals talk. We're actually going to talk about talking animals here in just a little bit. But I want you to just notice, uh, at the very least, at this point, there's one bird in heaven, okay? We can, we can say without a doubt that there is at least one bird in heaven, and it is an eagle. Uh, let me change gears a little bit, and we'll go to the Old Testament. You say, how in the world would the Old Testament have anything to say about heaven and give us any insight about animals? Well, check out 2 Kings chapter number 2 in verse 11. It's a little bit different today, a little bit more uh, of a study, I suppose, than anything else. But here we we, we pick up the story kind of at the end of Elisha's life. Elisha was a prophet of God. 
Uh, he was a, a man who got a message from God, and Elisha's job is just to deliver that message. But Elisha did a lot of pretty cool things. If you read his story and look at his life, um, Elijah did some amazing, amazing things. But he's coming to the end of his life, and he knows it. And his servant, Elisha, is with him and doesn't want to leave his side because he wants a blessing from Elijah before he actually departs. And so we pick up the story in verse number 11. And as they, Elijah and Elisha, uh, as they still went on and they talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. God takes Elijah in human flesh to heaven. That's a whole other topic and very interesting, uh, but we won't talk about that this morning. But I want you to notice what is happening here. Chariots of fire and horses of fire. Huh, interesting, isn't it? that there are horses coming from heaven and uh, in apparently going back up into heaven. Let's talk more horses, okay? Because there's a lot of horses in heaven, actually. Revelation chapter 6, we'll go there. Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 2, 4, and 8. And in verse 2, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, a white horse, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And then you jump down to verse number four, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. And then in verse number eight, and I looked and behold, a pale horse. What on earth is going on here? Well, there's a lot going on uh, here this morning, uh, but I want you to know there's horses in heaven. There's horses in heaven. Is this like figurative? Is John just seeing some image of some something that looked like a horse? Why did he say horse? Because he knew what a horse looked like, right? And he says, that's a horse. That's a red horse. That's a pale horse. That's a white horse. Let's go on. Revelation chapter 19, towards the end of the book, starting in verse number 11. This is John speaking again. He says, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, right? And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And John is seeing Jesus uh, sitting on a white horse. And he says, And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. That description is very similar to what John saw in Revelation chapter 1, if you were here with us in, in that series. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written which no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a, in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And then notice verse 14. In the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. Who are they? They are the saints of God coming back with Jesus to reign on the earth for 1,000 years. It's called the millennial kingdom. Uh, and it says white and pure, and they were following, following him on, on what? Say it with me. White horses. Oh my goodness, there's a lot of horses in heaven, right? Uh, any horse fans out there this morning? We were in Montana. This is like horse culture, right? There is a lot of horses that are apparently in heaven. Your horse? I can't say for sure uh, this morning, but there will be and there are horses in heaven. Here's an interesting quote from Randy Alcorn. Just talking about animals in general, uh, he said this. He said, when Adam was created, God surrounded him with animals, right? At the very beginning, uh, God creates Adam. Even before he created Eve, he allowed all these animals to come before Adam and basically said, hey, Adam, go ahead and, and name the animals, right? And then he goes on to say this, uh, when Noah was delivered from the flood, guess what God surrounded Noah with? A bunch of animals, right? 
And then when Jesus was born, of course, it is very likely and very possible that God surrounded him with animals as well. Take it for what it's worth, just kind of an interesting observation this morning, but there will be, there will be animals in heaven. And if God is going to create a new earth with everything new, then it's only natural and right for us to assume that he will create new animals to be on that new earth with us. And so that's really fascinating if you ask me. Uh, but here's a question that nobody asked. Nobody asked this question. Um, and that's okay. It's not a big deal. But um, are animals going to talk in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Are animals going to talk in heaven? Probably no one has ever really given that a whole lot of consideration, uh, but there's a reason that we're talking about this because I, I find it to be very interesting, number one, but number two, uh, it's going to answer another question here for us this morning. But I want you to go back to Genesis chapter number three, because at the very beginning, we find a talking animal. Uh, now we can say, well, is Satan the cause of this talking animal? Well, I don't know. Scripture doesn't really give us that much insight to say that it was caused by Satan himself. But if you notice Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now if we just stop there, what do we gather? Snakes are pretty smart. Okay, that's what we gather, right? We just take it at face value. We understand that a serpent was apparently at the time, beginning of creation, was more crafty, more cunning, more wise than any other animal that God had created. And notice this, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, and so on and so forth. And when I read that, I, I kind of like look at that and think, why isn't Eve shocked by this? They're like, does not anybody ever read that and think, like, Eve does not run to Adam and go, Adam, a snake just talked to me. Like, that would be my reaction, right? Um, maybe not yours, I don't know. But if an animal is talking to me, I'd be like, what's going on? I'd be like, checking my pulse, you know, uh, kind of thing. Eve doesn't do that, right? We don't have any of that within this context or that story uh, this morning. Why? Why? Well, it may have been very natural for animals, or at least some animals, to talk, right? Uh, it may be, it may not, who knows? Uh, remember the story of Balaam, right? Balaam's a prophet, and uh, he's uh, going to help uh, this certain king, and God's trying to stop him, uh, and God basically is, is causing uh, the donkey, Balaam's donkey, to not go in a certain direction, and then and Balaam's like, you know, kicking it, like nobody kicks their horse, right? You don't do that. Um, maybe do, I don't know, I'm not a horse person, but uh, Balaam's like, you know, come on, donkey boy, let's go, and, uh, and Balaam starts talking, Balaam's donkey starts talking to him, right? And Balaam starts talking to his donkey. <laughs> Read the story, right? He's not shocked. He doesn't jump off and run away. He just kind of carries on this conversation with his donkey. God opened uh, the mouth of the donkey to speak. Remember the eagle in heaven, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa to the dwellers uh, on the earth. So you got a talking snake, talking donkey, uh, talking eagle. You actually have other living creatures before the throne of God, uh, in Revelation, I believe it's chapter uh, 4 and 5, that are standing before the throne. Uh, one has the face of an ox, a lion, a human, uh, an eagle, and they are speaking before the throne of God, holy, 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 uh, to, to the Lord Almighty, right? So you have all of these talking animals. We can't say for sure, but what if animals talk in heaven? Which kind of leads me to the second question. And the second question is this, 
will heaven be boring? <laughs> uh, if there's animals talking, I don't think that's possible, right? Uh, just on that sheer fact alone this morning, if we have animals that are talking in heaven, uh, will heaven be boring? But let's be honest, this is a common question, right? Like a lot of us have this question, like even, you know, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're kind of like, I'm not really looking forward to going to heaven. You know, am I going to sit on a cloud and, you know, strum a harp for all eternity? That sounds fun. Let's do that, right? Um, we have these misconceptions about heaven, but a lot of people think, man, heaven is going to be boring. And, and let me just say this. If God is boring, then I guess you could expect heaven to be boring, right? If your perception of God is that he is boring, well, then I guess you could expect heaven to be boring, but I want you to know my God and your God is anything but boring, right? God is creative. God is loving. God is uh, even playful and has a sense of humor and adventure. God is all of these things, and I want you to know that he's imprinted those things upon the human heart, that you are that way because God has made you that way. We have the same traits that God has in many, many different ways. Notice this other quote from Randy Alcorn, he said this, he said, our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy, betrays a heresy that God is boring. He said, our desire for pleasure in the experience of joy comes directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, he made our adrenaline and sex drives and the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God that we accuse of being boring. Are we so arrogant, he said, to assume that human beings came up with the idea of having fun, right? They're like, man, it's just preposterous, right? God is the one that has given us all these desires that we are to enjoy within the boundaries that he has created, but this is who God is. And so if your view of heaven is low, your view of God is going to be low, and consequently it's going to affect so much in your life. Notice this in, in Psalm chapter 16 in verse 11, the psalmist says this, you, speaking about God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, notice this, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is who God is. This is what he's like. He wants us to understand that. Uh, look at Luke chapter 6. We're going to just fly through a lot of verses this morning, but in Luke chapter 6, in verse 21 and verse 23, uh, Jesus is, is speaking about those who are blessed in life and what they should expect from God. And he says, blessed, this is Jesus speaking, blessed are you who are hungry now, meaning like in this life. This is your experience. This is maybe, maybe the, the poor things that you experienced in life, and you didn't have a lot. He says, blessed are those who are hungry. You shall be satisfied. It's talking about a future reality. He goes on to say this, blessed are, are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, rejoice. Look at verse 23, in that day, in leap for joy. Has anybody ever tried to leap for joy without laughing? You know, it's like you can't. You like have to laugh when you leap for joy, right? He says, for behold, your reward is great where? In heaven. In heaven, right? There's laughter. There's joy. There's pleasures forevermore, according to Jesus. Is heaven going to be boring? Uh, not the heaven that is described in Scripture, church. This is the heaven that God has described to us. Heaven won't be boring. There's so many places we can turn to, but I just want you to see this like overall scope 
uh, of what heaven is like. And so I'm going to give you a few other uh, verses. Revelation 4, I mentioned those li- uh, living creatures, living creatures before the throne. Let's look at this real quick. In Revelation chapter 4 and verses 6 through 9, and it says, before the throne there was, in, uh, as, a, uh, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And all around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and in behind. That's different. You ever see that before? I haven't, right? I mean, it sounds like something out of a C.S. Lewis you know, book or novel or movie. Uh, if you've watched Narnia, it's like, wow, this is absolutely uh, amazing. For time's sake, we don't have uh, time to go into it. Uh, but, but none of that sounds like anything I've ever seen before, and it doesn't sound like it would be boring as well. Uh, consider this, there's actually going to be drama in heaven. Like, oh, like I'm like, trying to avoid drama, right? There's actually going to be drama unfolding in heaven as God's plan is actually unfolding upon the earth. Uh, those that are in heaven now are actually awaiting the things that are going to transpire in the future. People in heaven apparently are aware of events happening on the earth. You say, well, how do we know that? Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And notice it with me. It says this, Revelation chapter 6 and verses 9, 9 through 10, it says, when he, God, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. Okay? So we're talking about tribulation saints, uh, people who have died during the tribulation period. They've come to Christ during the tribulation period, and they died for their faith in Jesus. Now notice what's happening here. It says this in verse number 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord. Who is who? It's God, right? Uh, Holy and true. Now notice what they're saying. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? What are they doing? They're asking God a question. Why are they asking God a question? Because they don't know the answer to the question. That makes sense, doesn't it? Some of you have asked the question, will we automatically have all our questions answered the moment we go into heaven? Well, apparently, these tribulation saints who are in heaven, standing before the throne of God, they don't. They don't automatically have all of their questions answered. They're asking God, how long? Why? Why? Because they don't know, right? They don't know. Uh, Let me show you something interesting in line with that. Will we automatically just know everything? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 7, the apostle Paul says something very, very interesting. Uh, He says in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is our reality. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then notice verse number seven. This is kind of the hinge point right, right here. He says, so that in the coming ages, what are the coming ages? Well, it's not the present age. Uh, Paul's like, we're not talking about the present age, talking about the coming ages, something that's in the future uh, that hasn't happened yet. He, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why does he need to do that? Why does he need to show us about the immeasurable riches and blessings that we have in Christ Jesus? Because apparently we don't know, right? Does that make sense? Can we draw that conclusion this morning? Apparently we don't know. Now I believe there's gonna be a lot of things that we're gonna automatically uh, just be aware of, and, and it will be more clear to us in heaven. But I also think Scripture teaches that we'll still be learning in heaven. Who alone is omniscient? God, right? God alone is all-knowing. 
not humanity. And so uh, it's likely that we're going to be learning in heaven. That doesn't sound boring to me, right? Uh, is, is heaven going to be boring? Man, if we're able to learn, if we're able to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he has done for us, uh, that doesn't sound boring uh, to me at all, um, and I don't think it should sound boring to you as well. What about work? Are we going to work in heaven? Are we going to work in heaven? Are we going to have jobs in heaven? I think we have this idea that we're going to be sitting back with like, you know, a drink with an umbrella in it and just like, you know, soaking up the sun on some beach, right? Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But I think we're actually going to have purpose and meaning and identity through the work that we do for Jesus. We're actually going to serve him. Revelation talks about that. We don't have time to go there, but it kind of answers one of the questions that uh, some of you have actually asked. People on earth, they said, struggle with purpose and meaning. We can agree with that, right? People struggle with, with purpose and meaning. Christians, non-Christians, leading to anxiety and fear, someone said. How will this longing, this is their question, how will this longing for purpose, identity, and meaning be addressed in heaven? Let me just answer that. It'll be addressed through the work that we do for Christ. That, that our identity, our purpose, will be completely fulfilled in what we do for Jesus on the new earth in the new heaven. Uh, that our identity, it won't be a struggle. Like, we struggle with identity here, right? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing in life? Uh, uh, that, that is something we'll leave on the old earth, but is not something we will bring uh, into the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, but back to our original question, will heaven be boring? I, I don't think it's even possible. I don't think it's even possible. Remember, we're talking about a new heaven. Remember the capital city of heaven, New Jerusalem, that we talked about and described last week you have streets of gold. You have uh, the foundation of the walls that are made of, of pure jasper, which was diamond. And it's all radiating the glory of God. And these gates that are made of pearl. And, and the gates are open. And we get to go in and out on this new earth and experience this new creation of God. God made it for us to enjoy. Is heaven going to be boring? I don't think that's possible. Christian, let me just encourage you this morning. God wants you and I to imagine these things. Like God wants us to go through life and imagine the wonders and the glories that await us, the things that he has created and prepared for us. Why? Because it impacts our lives today. You see, so many people go through life depressed and down and worried about all the things they don't have in this life. And Jesus is like, there's a better life coming. Don't live for this one. Don't make it all about the dot. Make it about the line. Because when you make it about the line, it'll impact the dot and how you live in this earth. We need to elevate, don't you think, our view of heaven today. We need to elevate our understanding of what God has created for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up this morning as we get ready to close. But I'm going to close with a verse that I think is so applicable and so um, just reorienting for us as we consider heaven. My heart and my goal for you and I is, is that we would understand as God's people, the very place that we're hoping in, the very place that we would plead with someone to believe in Jesus, because why? You get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him there. My, my fear is we're not really looking forward to that. That we don't have that anticipation because we don't know what it would be like and what we'll experience. But when you do, man, it changes, doesn't it? It changes how you talk to people. 
about your faith in Christ. It changes how you deal with the disappointments and the challenges of life. It changes how you view the things that are happening in our world today and on the news, and it helps us to have a heavenly perspective in life. In John chapter 14, and this is what I want to close with you this morning, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and, and he is coming to kind of the end of his time on the earth. He knows he's going to the cross. And he has shared this time and time again with those disciples who walked with Jesus uh, for, for three years, uh, day in and day out. And they saw their Savior do miraculous, amazing things. And they were fearful. And they were a little hopeless. What am I going to do without the physical presence of Jesus in my life? And Jesus knew this. He knew that fear with inside of them. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus knows your fears, your anxieties. He knows everything about you. He knows the struggles of your heart right now. And he says to these disciples, and he says the same thing to us today. This is just as applicable for you and I this morning. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't fear. Don't be overrun with anxiety and fear and hopelessness in this life. Don't fear. We have so much fear, don't we? And they had fear. Don't, don't fear, Jesus. Says, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he shares something so wonderful and so magnificent that these disciples were to hold on to. It wasn't just something for them to be like, oh, that's good to know. It was something that was meant to transform their life on the earth. It was the hope, the future hope. And Jesus says, in my Father's house. There's a house, yeah, you bet. It's a big, big house. Amen, DC Talk, thank you for that, right? In my Father's house, there's many rooms. There's many rooms. Now, I love that, don't you? That there, there's a room for you. It's your personal space that God has a specific place for you. It's a room for you. He has, he has prepared. He says, and if it were not so, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you? He's like, why else would I say this if it wasn't true? This is where I'm going. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Think about, think about what Jesus is saying to you and I today. There's a house, there are rooms, and there's a place. And I love that. A place means this, that you're actually gonna take up space, <laughs> that you're a real person, and that heaven is a real location. Hear me this morning, heaven is, is not some mystical uh, alter reality. Heaven is not a dream. Heaven is not something that is, is kinda uh, ethereal and just not a physical. It is a real place. Jesus says there's a room, there's a house, there's a place that I am going to prepare and create for you. And if that's true, how magnificent, how wonderful will it be to be in the presence of God and to walk with him and to experience all of these wonderful things that are revealed to us in scripture. Randy Alcorn said this, I'll give you just one last quote. He said, if God prepared the Garden of Eden, think about this, 
if God prepared the Garden of Eden so carefully and so lavishly for mankind in the six days of creation, what has he fashioned in the place that he's been preparing for us 2,000 years since he left this world? You ever thought about that? Six days, Garden of Eden. The most beautiful garden humanity has ever seen. And Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. He's at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, I'm going there because I'm preparing a place for you. In 2,000 years, how creative, how wonderful and magnificent will this place be. Christian, this is your hope. That ought to change your life. That ought to alter the way that you face Monday morning and its challenges in the conversations that you have with people who have no hope and have no love and have no mercy and forgiveness right now, but they can through Jesus. You see, if you have this hope and you're looking to that country like those in Hebrews, the heroes of the faith were, if you have that on your mind, it'll change the words that come from your heart and from your lips. And it'll impact people, not just for today, but for eternity. See, one of the joys of heaven is that we're going to spend eternity with people from all nations and all colors in this wonderful place in the presence of God. And we're going to build relationships and we're going to learn from one another and we're going to share with one another. This is what awaits us. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't know whether that's your reality. Can I implore you this morning that the news and the message of Christianity is this, that God is simply offering it to you today. He says, I want you to be there, but I won't make you be there. I won't make you go to heaven. It's your choice, but understand it's only through my son, Jesus, who came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, paid the penalty for your sin. And if you want that, you can accept that. It's a free gift, and it's offered to the entire world. This is what awaited that thief on the cross when Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise, friend. And this is what awaits you. But it's a moment of decision that you say, I understand that I'm a sinner. My sin separates me, but God has made a way through his son, Jesus, and he paid the price. And there's gotta be a moment in your life where you decide what you're gonna do with Jesus. Am I gonna believe in him or not believe in him? The Bible says those that believe in Jesus, they have life, eternity. They get to spend it with God. It's only through Jesus. You're here this morning and you don't know whether or not that is your reality. I would love, love, love nothing more than to speak with you about the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me just for a moment? Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. This is a moment we call an invitation. We're inviting you to respond to God. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I need to elevate my view of heaven. I don't know much about it. And it doesn't affect my life. It ought to. As Paul said in Colossians, we ought to set our hearts and our minds on the heavenly. Christian, you need to elevate your view of heaven today. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, let me implore you today, the best decision of your life, the best decision of your life is to believe in the person of Jesus to know that you will spend eternity with God in heaven and that this earth is not the best. It's not your best life. Your best life is yet to come, but it's through Jesus. God, this morning, we're so grateful and thankful for your faithfulness, 
for your willingness to come to this earth so that you could pay the penalty for our sin. And God, we thank you that you have gone back to prepare a place for us in heaven that awaits us, the saints of God, the believers. Lord, we're grateful for that. Help us to live in light of that hope. Help us to gaze upon the wonders of heaven, to ponder it, to allow it to be the thing that we are moving for, that celestial city. God, it's our hope. We pray that you would affect our hearts with it. Change us, God. As we go through this wicked world, God, and deal with the hardships of life, may we keep our hearts and minds fixed on heaven, we pray in Jesus' name.